are listening to the Tableau Podcast. <laughs> Welcome to the Tableau Podcast. My name is um, Tableau. My re- <laughs> You're gonna lie. <laughs> my real name. My real name is Daniel Lee. Um, people used to call me Dan. Um, very rarely called Danny, but usually Dan or is Daniel. Your name like Sumin or something. Son Wung. Oh. Son Wung. Which drives me crazy because. Yeah. Do you realize? So my uh, name is like Lee Dan, like Daniel Son Wung Lee. Yeah. Which is really long. Yeah. So on plane tickets, they, uh, on my boarding pass, the G doesn't come out. So it's like Lee Daniel Son Wung, right? And the G doesn't come out. And usually it's not an issue. They get that it's too long. So they're maybe missing a letter, right? It's not on for every boarding pass. But um, specifically the for every boarding pass, for me, for some reason, G is missing sometimes. And because it's missing, um, sometimes they'll hold me up and they'll be like, uh, I mean, technically this is not your name. I'm like, but… But that is… I think it's because the name is too long. They're missing the G. And they're like, but this is… You know, this is a different name. And I'm like, what are the chances that they will get L-E-E-D-A-N-I-E-L-S-E-O-N-W-O-O-N right though? And then just not get the G right? Like, what are the chances of that? Of someone having a name with with this combination of of letters… You know, like also, what a bold risk move for someone lying to make yeah. to leave out one letter. And what's interesting, at, at some point, I had to. So, at one point, legally, my name was Lee Daniel, and then Sun Wung because it was so long. Um, well, anyways, it was divided. So it was Sun, and then there was a space, and Wung. Oh, was the way my name was on my passport. Yeah, and because this kept happening, where it was too long. I combined it together. So it's Sunwung as one word, mm-hmm. right? So I can at least get one, like one space up. And even then it's too long, right? I mean, make, can you make a, a bigger boarding pass? <laughs> like just a <laughs> tiny, like. It's not in the budget. COVID ruined their air, ha- airline like industry. One, <laughs> one centimeter to the right. Okay, I would be able to get the G on there. After the airlines went bankrupt this past year, I think you're going to lose about four more letters. You're going to become just Han Or lead. Like <laughs> lead. <laughs> My name will be lead. lead. L-E-E-D. Yeah. And, and maybe like half an A. Yeah. Question. Mm-hmm. Do, do you find comfort whenever people say like, Oh, well, you know, the chances of you dying on an airplane are way less than dying in a car. Does that bring you any comfort when people try to say that? I actually hate it when people do that. <laughs> like when people compare um, one possibility of death um, with another possibility of death to make me feel better about it. <laughs> right? Because how crazy is that? They're like, no, dude, don't worry about the, the imminent death you imagine in your head because there are so many other ways to die and so many more. If this won't get you, something else will. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, it's a very final destination way of trying to calm you down, right? Um, and also, like, that's based on statistics. I took a statistics class, as I probably have mentioned at some point, maybe. Sure. 
I took a um, class um, called statistics in sports to fulfill my math requirement in college. Um, in college, oh, because okay, I okay. hated, I hate math. Yes. Um, I, I I'm just not. You friend- love sports. I'm not friendly with numbers. I assume that anything that is statistics in sports would be at least remotely entertaining, and it it somehow fulfilled at least one of the requirements for math, um, math and sciences. So I took that. Uh, I got in, and um, I got into the class. Like, I, well, not got in. There was heavy competition, by the way, because oh. I was I was competing with sports. A lot of the athletes. Oh, okay. And um, so Stanford has a really good athletic program. So a lot of people wanted to be in that class. Um, I probably for the same reason that I was trying to be in there to fulfill that requirement, because um, none of us really wanted to do it. <laughs> but anyways, we we get into the lecture and. Um, the professor was the oldest man I have ever seen. <laughs> he was around when um, sports was invented. No knock to this guy, right? When or the first number or appeared anyone, in the sky. Or to anyone that is <laughs> that is um, a senior, right? Yeah. Because, you know, but I'm just I'm just pointing it out as fact. I'm not trying to, you know, say like diss him or anything. I'm just saying um at like at that point in my life, at least he was the oldest human being I had ever laid my eyes on. And even now, I, I, after that, I have never met anyone older than him. And I'm not just saying he appeared old. Okay. He, was, he was this… He was this old white man. Yeah. And he was… Like… I, I actually like… Somehow like… Found out his age. Found out his age. Because I was really worried that like… Um, Something was going to happen. Well, this class is not going to, you know, get through the quarter. <laughs> yes, right? Okay. This guy was really old. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. And um, anyways, he, he was like factually old. And um, so he… There's a… Like a… You know, he's like trying to get to the chalkboard. And he was struggling… To get there and also like… She's just having a really difficult time. Yeah. And I, I was really worried. Um, and because he was, he was a very… He was very gentle and very good. Oh, okay. Right? One of the first things he said uh, was that like… Don't believe in statistics. And I was like… This is the best. This is like… <laughs> you were like done. <laughs> this guy's my guy. Okay? Pick jump right now. Imagine you walk into a church. No. Okay, for the first time in your life, and you didn't want to go. Okay, your parents drag you there, and the pastor gets up there and he's like, <laughs> he's like, don't believe anything I say today. <laughs> don't believe anything that's spoken about here. If he said that, he would automatically win my interest, right? Because that's that's unexpected. And then um, he was, you know, and then he proceeded to teach us statistics in in sports. Um, as if he had not said this. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and now I'm just sitting there like doubting everything. And you know how statistics can be altered and used? Well, that's why when you learn… Stati- okay, so I'm opposite you. I loved statistics. I almost majored in statistical math. <laughs> oh, you did? As I, Yeah, I think I mentioned it before. But I was either going to go to NYU for film or go to UCLA for s- statistics. <laughs> You're cute. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, for real. Oh, so you? I was really good at so statistics. So, like, as a teen, 
as yeah. a teenager, you were really sitting there torn between filmmaking <laughs> and arts and statistics. Okay, well, I mean, mind you, this was back when UCLA, you had to, you couldn't for some reason declare film as a major until your junior year. So it's like you had to do something else with the other two years until you could apply within the school. It was like, you say like it sucks. But, <laughs> but so I was like, okay, fine. If I can't declare film as my major at UCLA, I'll declare statistics. And I'm then okay get in that. there and then wiggle my way into the film. Yeah, low key. Yeah. But uh, the major thing that you learn about statistics is that one, look at how the study was run to see how faulty it is. Mm-hmm. And then two… Nothing in statistics ever actually says like, oh, this is fact. It's always, this is significant. This is a thing you should strongly consider. Yes, but there's the correlation. problem is yeah. quite often people, yeah, people will like politicians or businessmen yeah. will, will take those and, and claim fact. Yeah. So that's why I'm saying though, whenever people are like, why do we learn math? Okay, I don't know about calculus, but statistics, you should actually maybe learn so that you learn how to read. Statistics yeah. and how to translate it for yourself and not point blank taken numbers thrown at you by other people. And that's that's why this um this this old man with a beautiful soul. Um I, that's what he did for me, right? Yeah. He and after that class that fulfilled, you know, one of my requirements, um I don't remember anything I learned in that class. Honestly, I, I actually have absolutely no idea what we did in there. Except for that thing he said in the beginning. Yeah. Also, I didn't go to every lecture. <laughs> um, so that's po- that's possibly why. Yeah. But what I'm saying is I walked out with that. And after that, um, you know how when you learn something new, all of a sudden you notice it everywhere? Yes. It's just like, uh, you know, like… Uh, when you get married and you have a kid, yes, I I know what that is. Yeah, like. <laughs> all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you will know. You guys will know one day. But all of a sudden, you realize how many babies there are in the world. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Yeah, like when I had my kid, or when I was expect when my wife, you know, was expecting. Yeah, she well, she was doing all the hard work. <laughs> yes. So while um, she was making. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> While she was creating a life. She's brewing. <laughs> um, there were so many babies in the world. Yeah. Like on, like in the street, like at restaurants. Just babies. You know, you know just babies are just on the street. No, They're no, growing I mean, from the trees. No, I mean like in, in strollers and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in restaurants, in cafes. Like I'm like, oh my god. So here's… So I… Because it wasn't something of interest… I had somehow like had a mute button on for all these kids that were probably around. Just like that, after I after he, you know, said like don't believe statistics, um, I started seeing statistics everywhere, right? And quite often statistics are used like even in daily conversation when you don't even notice it. Like for example, when I was working at that the campus, you know, cafe slash sandwich making place. And then like Starbucks took it over. Um, and then now I was suddenly a Starbucks employee and I had to wear like Starbucks <laughs> uniforms. And they, they were throwing out like numbers like because, yeah. you know, it's more effective. Like, and also we're going to have to cut down your time and you're gonna, we're going to have to cut down your pay a little bit. And they threw these numbers at me and it sounded like facts. And I was like, don't believe anything they say. Don't believe anything. These are stats. Don't believe them. 
And then you would see it in like like reports. You would see politicians, you know, just throwing out stats as if you know they mean anything. And then you look into them, and quite often, um, it really has nothing to do with what they're saying, or it doesn't support what they're saying in any way, but just sounds like it, right? And um, I think that was something important to learn. While we're on the topic of numbers, do you believe in the ten thousand hours thing? You know, if you dedicate ten thousand hours to whatever, um, whatever you do or whatever you're passionate about, that's how you uh, gain mastery. No, you know, you know. Well, the, because you know how they're like, oh, what do ten thousand steps? That's also arbitrary. That's not real. Well, you don't believe in the. A lot of people subscribe to this ten thousand hour thing. Like, put in your ten thousand hours. Uh, I mean, I I believe in sure. I think the larger point is like you know, put in the time or whatever. But the actual number, no, I don't believe in ten thousand. Oh yeah, well, that's what I meant. Yeah, but wait, ten thousand. So okay, I've been so Epic High has been around seventeen years, right? Yeah. How many hours is in seventeen years? A well, lot. First of all, that's roughly six thousand two hundred and five days. Yeah. If you just you know, let's just take out leap years and stuff. Okay. Um, ten thousand hours divided by six thousand two hundred five is around one one point six hours a day. Okay. For, for seventeen years, am I right? Okay. So, holy, that's a lot of time. Yeah. So I've definitely put in ten thousand hours. You put in you put in like a hundred thousand. Yeah, I've put in a lot of hours. Yeah. But um I'm 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 just saying like even one point six hours a day is really hard to do to dedicate to some craft. And if you if you dedicate one point six hours of every day of your life to to something that you're passionate about, that's you know, that's that would still be passionate, right? If every day you were dedicating an hour and a half, yeah, it would take you seventeen years to reach ten thousand hours. Seventeen years, yeah. Wow, that, this reaching the ten thousand hour thing is no joke. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was I gonna say? I don't think I can't think of anything I spend at least one point seven hours doing other than I guess like sleeping, and um, I've I've yet to master that. Sleeping? Yeah. Yeah, me too. So I just googled um, the 10,000 hours concept. And the first thing that comes up is new study destroys Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 uh, 10, rule. Not $10,000. Okay. Uh, let's look at this. Yeah, he's uh, the writer. So um, the 10,000 hour rule may not be much of a rule at all. The principle holds that 10,000 hours of deliberate practice are needed to become world-class in any field. When psychologists talk about deliberate practice, they mean practicing in a way that pushes your skill set as much as possible. So Gladwell um, mentioned this in Outliers and um, how 10,000 hours of practice allowed the Beatles to become the greatest band in history. But where's the study? Okay, a new Princeton study so princeton university um tears that theory down oh hey in a (laughs) meta-analysis of 88 studies on deliberate practice so here's statistics coming at 
Coming at you. Coming at you fast. Okay. 88 studies on deliberate practice. The researchers found that practice accounted for just about 12% difference in performance in various domains. What's really surprising is how much it depends on the domain. In games, practice made for a 26% difference. In music, it was a 21% difference. In sports, an 18% difference. And in education, a 4% difference. In professions, just a 1% difference. Um, so in, they, they published a book, and in it, they argue that uh, deliberate practice is only a predictor of success in fields that have super stable structures. For example, in tennis, chess, and classical music, the rules never change, so you can study up to become the best. Oh. Yo, right away. <laughs> okay. I, I'm not on the side of the 10,000-hour rule. Yeah. But I'm just saying this study is flawed because… Um, Whatever uh, Malcolm Gladwell must have been saying with the 10,000, it's not the only prerequisite or the requisite, right? He's saying that he's probably saying in addition to whatever, like luck, um, who's helping you, all of this, uh, to to get to a certain level of mastery in any field, um, you need to put in your 10,000 hours, right? Mm-hmm. But this book is arguing it from the from like a perspective where Malcolm Gladwell is saying that is claiming that this is the only requisite. Yeah. Um which is not, you know, which is not what the argument really is. Yeah, anybody from anywhere, it's not a guarantee that doing 10,000 hours of anything will get you anywhere. Yeah. Um so th- this book argues, so deliberate practice is only a predictor of success in fields that have super stable structures. Well, exactly. It's a predictor, right? Um, but I would put my money down on, let's say, okay, somebody, there's a CEO um, who is putting in 10,000 hours of deliberate practice, which, which would be like work into whatever company he's making, right? And then there's a CEO who doesn't. I mean, who are you going to bet on? Of course, the person that doesn't could could possibly be very lucky or just have a lot of money, have great investors, or happen upon a product uh, at the right time. But let's say both of them are la- that way, right? Who would you choose? The person who puts in, you know, like five hours of work Every day or the person who puts in like eight hours of work every day. Mm-hmm. You know, you would, you would assume that the person who puts in more time um, would fare better. Luck is something that you can't really… Can I, actually, you, you can kind of work at luck. The probability of an opportunity coming your way. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I always… That's what I've always um, preached to my… Um, group members actually what is it isn't it luck is just opportunity meets preparation yeah i think so but what i always tell them is um okay so my well two cuts in mithra um the way their brain functions or the way they like to work is they like to do sure things that's just their personality right um, I'm, and I'm not saying the two of them are 
completely alike either. But I'll just use Tukats as an example. He's he's he he wants to know first of all if he can do this task, and secondly, what this task will like, what results it will bring about. Like he wants to know this, and he will choose to do tasks that um, have have a clear like answer on on both of these things, right? Whereas for me, I will I will be more inclined to do tasks or try things that are uh, that don't have a clear result or sometimes a clear purpose. And the reason why I do that is because I believe that every time you do something, you open yourself up to not just opportunity, but um, new situations. And by by that, you you broaden the radius of where luck may step in. And that's what I always argue with him about. I'm like, yeah, of course, this thing that, you know, whether or not we do this show or this uh this event or this this song or whatever this collab um of course it might not turn out well it it might of course there's some things we may lose but it will force us to take a step in a direction that we haven't ever ventured into which will open us up for the possibility of luck right because one thing is for sure if we stay in the studio or this or we stay in our homes or we we don't move um it's going to be very hard for luck to come in our way right mm-hmm. and i i'm not and i always say i'm i'm not guaranteeing that this will bring about luck you know i'm not I'm, i can't say for sure um it might end up becoming nothing but it, it is clear that if we only do s- tasks that are for sure it will keep us in place. That's all that it will do. Um, and I mean, he's not wrong, right? Because it is important to also stay safe and to also know exactly where you're headed. But it's also important to venture into places you've never been. Yeah. So the two of us, I, th- I think it's important that the two of us are in this group together. Because... I'm not trying to be like all Disney here, but yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. Too good. It's like you can never kick me yeah. out now. <laughs> and then, and then we have one member who like simply doesn't care. So, <laughs> like he's the third. Yeah, option. he's just like whatever. <laughs> I'll just go with whatever. Yeah. So, um, anyways, it works out to have these two different perspectives. But one thing for sure, though, is all of us have put in ten thousand hours, whether we've um, done it deliberately. Or not, because you know, like every time we're on stage, I'm pretty sure we've been on stage for more than ten thousand hours at this point, right? So I, I think we're are, we're very good at performing, and I think it's because we've put in the hours. Yeah, and um, and that and. You know, this Princeton study is saying, yeah, 21% for music, right? So it's predictable in music. But is music predictable? They're talking about like classical music here. Yeah. Where really? it's like you have to like hit the pop note. Music, like pop music? Exactly like Hip-hop this. music is predictable? No. Like 
on stage? Have you ever been to a hip, like hip hop show? Like whoever's even on stage doesn't know what's gonna happen. Like literally, I have no idea what I like what movement I'm gonna do in the next ten seconds. I had like I will sometimes like climb on top of something and realize I'm up there, not knowing why I came up here. Right? Sometimes like you know, just crazy things will happen on stage, and we'll surprise ourselves. Right? It's very unpredictable, and um. But the thing is, one one thing is for sure. When you see a like, like a, a performer that is seasoned, meaning like they actually put in their time and and their time on stage is adequate and substantial, um, they will most likely be a much better performer than the person who hasn't. Like somebody that that is just a fresh new artist who is great at dancing will definitely be be a better dancer than I ever will be, right? And technically speaking, they will be able to outperform me, right? Because they are very skilled at it. But um, sometimes we'll be, we'll be doing a show and someone who is obviously very technically um, good will be performing at the same venue as us, but we'll have a better reception. Although we can't dance. Well, two cuts can kind of dance in a funny way. But you, you know what I mean? Because our 10,000 hours has been spent um, on chemistry and also stage presence, right? And also really getting the crowd into it. Their 10,000 hours may have been spent in that craft of dance, choreography, which is noble in itself, but it's different is what I'm saying. Yeah. But once that that fresh new artist um, gets their 10,000 hours on stage, they will be like a double, triple threat because they'll not only be able to dance very well, but they've they will also be able to like, you know completely take charge of the stage and um that's sort of the case with like bts right because if you look at like bts when they first debuted they could all dance well and they all had their skill sets right and it was undeniably good but over time because they've been performing like all over the world in front of so many different people and so many different situations, um, that is added on. So now if you look at their um, shows now, there's something that is just, you know, it's, it, there's this presence, right? Which, yeah. which only comes with time and, uh, you know, let's go ahead and tears basically. Like you, you need to put that in. And uh, whatever field you're in, I guess. Yeah, because performance especially is such a subjective thing for whether you've mastered it or not because it's all about how the audience at that specific moment in time felt about it, right? Mm -hmm. Because you could perform one way in the States and then perform the other way somewhere else and the reception because of cultural differences or whatever will be could be polar opposites. Yeah. Right? 
But I do believe that once you put in the 10,000 hours, yeah. no matter what stage you're on, and I'm not just saying for musicians, right? Apply it to whatever field you're in. Yeah. But um, from what I've personally experienced, you can literally put Epic High on any stage in any country or any city um, in front of any crowd that may or may not like us. Yeah. Um, we've been in situations where like, People just did not know us. Oh, yeah. Right? Uh, and we still had no problem getting them on our side at the end of the show. And that is… I'm saying that that wouldn't have happened before. Like our first couple albums or first maybe half of our career. If you, if you put us in a situation where we couldn't handle it, we may have suffered. But… Now, after all this time that we've put into it, we're able to adapt very quickly. And also, um, I think also with 10,000 hours of deliberate practice, you also gain like 10,000 hours of appreciation. You know, and appreciation for what you're doing or the, the, for the fact that you're able to do it um, really goes a long way. Because that basically is passion, right? Mm-hmm. And if you have that, um, you, can, you can be performing for somebody that hates you. But you will still care enough to make sure that they have an enjoyable time. Yeah. Right? Because they're there. You know, they happen to be in front of you. Like the zoo. Yeah, like <laughs> I started, you know… With the zoo. With the zoo. We're performing at a zoo. And then you upgraded to a human audience. Yeah. But what I mean is… I think… I'm not… I'm not so certain about like all the details about this 10,000 hour thing. I just hear it thrown around a lot. Um, You know, I… Just like you, I don't believe in… You have to hit 10,000 hours. I'm pretty sure that that's not what that writer… Can you imagine just getting to like… Was it 9,999? And then you're just like, you know what? This sucks. (laughs) And he's like, walk away. (laughs) You're like, no, I'm not going to put in my last hour. Not even that. It's 9,999 and then like, what is it? 59 minutes? Minutes. You just have one minute and (laughs) you're like… 59 seconds? No, no, forget it. I'm not putting in my last minute. You literally drop… Your mic, <laughs> or you get pa- you get past ten thousand, and yeah. you're like, wait, where's my world class mastery? Yeah, like what the hell, right? And then um, the thing that sucks about skills it, is that if you don't keep it up, those ten thousand hours will stop mattering because like you forget, right? You, that is the, true. The sense of out of practice comes into play. Yeah, um, it's really important to be able to pace yourself out. That's the flip side of this 10,000 hour thing. That's a good point. Because you could also burn yourself out if you're working at something for 10,000 hours. I, th- I believe pacing yourself is really important. Just like, just like an exercise, right? And um, um, because even if, you're, if, even if you love what you do, if you keep doing it, it becomes a job and you hate it at some point, right? And you don't want to do it. And you take some time away from it. and um, you know, people say talent is like riding a bicycle. The minute you get back to it, you'll know how to do it. But it's not true. Yeah. Um, and I know this because like we'll go on tour. And what's really interesting is um, if we're doing back-to-back shows, 
it'll get exponentially will get exponentially better. Yeah. But if we take a week break in the middle, and then we come back, the first few songs we do when we get when we get back on stage, um, the first songs we do will will feel rusty. Yeah. Even though we've been doing this our entire lives, and all we did was take a week break, right? And then it'll pick up again. And if we do more back-to-back shows, it'll get back to that level, right? And um, and that just that just shows you it, it's something you got to do every day. But it's really hard to. Yeah. Once you have a life like outside of what you do, um, you know, because I can't be in the car rapping for like. My wife and my daughter. You're like, and done. <laughs> I like, hit my. I gotta put half. in my 1.6 hours today. <laughs> Wear Can- this car for two hours. Cool. <laughs> like uh, you guys gotta stand me rapping at like full lungs, like just rapping for an hour and a half. You gotta sit through it. Yeah. I can't do that, right? Yeah. I see. I follow this um, the wife of a singer, like on Instagram, um, and she like. For a while, would go on tour with them, so like just like as like oh, it's Twenty One Pilots, Tyler Joseph's wife. Okay, so I follow her, and for a while she went to every single tour stop. This was like during their peak peak, where they were doing like four hundred shows a year type of thing. Because they have Twenty One Pilots, and it's irony because it's just two. I was just thinking to myself, like, do you not get sick of the songs? (laughs) Like, it's the same play, like. Play, uh, what is it, set? It's the same set every night, basically, almost, I would think. Yeah. And so it's like, I think it's different when you're performing it because it's like something you're no, like, it's working not. on. I, I, can but tell like, you, I can tell you. Was she pretending to like it every day? <laughs> well, I can tell you, you do get sick of the songs, even the even the musicians. Yeah. Even though you made the songs. Yeah. Right? Um. And I can attest to that because uh, that's why like for Epic High shows, yeah. we'll, um, we'll switch it up. Almost every show, even if it's the same tour or the same like concert where we'll do like three shows, yeah, we'll deliberately switch up the set set list. So um, we'll be doing a different set list every day, which is really hard to do. Yeah, like people advise against it because you rehearse. Yeah, and your our set. staff, yeah, uh, would prefer that we don't do that because the visuals have to change, the lighting changes. Um, even when we were on the like North American tour, um, Eddie was like, "You guys are like changing up the set. You're killing like, your crew. during the same tour." <laughs> yeah, right. And we'll sometimes change the set like five minutes before we go on stage because I'll be like, "You know, skip the next song and let's do the the other song." Right? Yeah. And the reason why I do that is because even though there are songs. Um, you do get sick of performing the exact same songs every day. Yeah. And you can feel yourself less passionate. So we do that to uh, to keep ourselves, you know, to keep it fresh to our, at least, you know, a little fresh. Yeah. Um, which is weird because like people that will see the first show will be like, or the third show will be like, why didn't you guys perform that song from the first show? And the people who saw the first show will be like, why did they perform the other song that I wanted to hear? That's why you got to go to every show. Sh- 
Yes. Oh, <laughs> Sorry. Okay, Whoa, pretty aggressive. Wow. Sorry. I need you remind me to get you to promote my I next know, right? tour. You're, you're really good at that. Yeah. Um, but what I'm saying is you do get sick of it. Okay. Because okay. I can totally tell like that um our staff is sick of the songs by the end of the tour. It's a month and a half of the same songs every day. Yeah. Um every time I see Eric Nam's face on those spaghetti packets at GS. I'm like, dang you, it, I've seen enough of you. <laughs> what are you talking about? You don't know, Eric is like the face of this like microwavable spaghetti brand in Korea. What does he have to do with spaghetti? I don't know. You know, just like they put celebrities on everything here, I feel like. Yeah. Like everything. Well, you know that I'm a celebrity too, so… <laughs> um. I do endorse. That, that I do. Joke. I do do endorsements every once in a while, right? You do. Well, I don't do it much anymore because I stopped doing TV and stuff. Yeah. But you know, I've I've been in endorsements for like phones and you know for various different products. Oh, can I do a quick PSA for people listening right now? A yeah. quick call to action. Yeah. Guys, I've been trying really hard uh, to find any like old ad starring Tableau. If you guys have it, Why or like you, if you know well, you where doing? to get it, can you send it to Stop. me and tag it? Because I, I literally one time for a highlight clip really wanted to find like an old advert starring you, but I couldn't find it. Dude, anywhere. it's easy to find. I'll I'll find some for you if you need it. Okay, but anyway, but if anyways, anyone's listening, um, you can tag me. I've promoted like various different um, things, but luckily the 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 products or whatever that I endorsed um you could find like a like a correlation you you could you could see why they would have me promote it uh-huh because it, it made sense. like for example um there was this uh there was this site that was doing uh, so there's a site in Korea a really popular site where it's like a job search site and I I did a TV ad for them right and th- the reason why they had me, not because I was, not only because I was on TV a lot, but um, I-, I had that song Fly, which is like, you know, keep your head up and, you know, tomorrow's going to be okay. Yeah. And that fits in with people that are searching for a job, right? And looking for a better tomorrow. Or some some people that, that are very down because they can't find a job. So I, when I understand why they're using me… Um, that's when I'll do it. But there there are instances like for example, I I Epic High endorsed a a potato chip like kind of thing, like <laughs> chips, right? Yeah. And, Can you say um, the brand or no? I'd rather not. Okay. Um because I am no longer endorsing them okay. and it would be weird. Uh and the thing is uh I'm glad that we helped their sales and stuff. Um, but it was that was that one was a company decision. Like I actually got to the place and that's when I knew what I was doing. Oh. Uh because I couldn't f- find some way to justify to myself why it would make sense for me to be promoting this ch- these chips. Potato chip. Yeah, why these? Why why it would be good for me to be pr- promoting these chips for, even for that company? Yeah, and um, 
it was a it was a really weird ad. All I gotta say is just it's just really funny. <laughs> I so once again, call to action. If you guys know the potato chip commercial, can you please send it over? It is. I tried so hard finding anything. It could be deemed as something very embarrassing. Yeah. But because I, I'm owning it right now. Okay, this is you owning it? Yeah, and I'm saying that, that <laughs> I it's, am owning it. I love that it's so weird. No, it just makes us look so whack. <laughs> so this is you owning it? Yeah. <laughs> we look whack. So it's all good. But um <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. It's like what did Eric Nam do that is gonna make me believe his um like, why am I going to buy spaghetti because of this dude? I, I don't mean to I, be. I, I don't uh, mean to be fucking up his endorsement, <laughs> right? But I'm not saying anything yeah, negative yeah, yeah, about yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. But I'm saying, like, just tell me. I want to know. Does is is there something that I don't know about Eric that, like, is he good at making spaghetti or something? If, if you not if you've ever been to Eric's house, I will assume most people listening have not been to Eric's house. But if you go to Eric's house, you'll see that his whole life is just on his counters. Like nothing's put away, and it and I can see myself if I'm really hungry and I'm hanging out at Eric's house and can I you make me pasta and I see a packet of pasta just mm-hmm. laying out. I'd be like, dude, I'm so hungry. Can like maybe okay? You know what? I wouldn't say. Well, actually, I I do kind of talk to Eric like that where I'm like, make me pasta. But I guess if I was in a more polite relationship, it would be more like, oh, is it cool if we if we make pasta with your spaghetti over there? Because I'm hungry. Yeah, I didn't know that part of it. I didn't know that detail. Yeah. So you're saying that Eric does have his entire life on his kitchen He counter. literally has like his entire spice rack just in a corner. And it's like 400 things of spice. I right. took three from his house. <laughs> okay. Um, I didn't know that detail. And now that I have that information. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, but um, I think one thing is for sure. What? Eric's a good dude. <laughs> Thank you. I'll see you guys next week.